there's a really interesting trend that you're kind of uh, picking at here is camping is skewing younger, um, which is is an interesting, you know, kind of uh, new territory for the industry because the camping industry has largely been sort of designed for baby boomers. Welcome to Behind the Stays, a podcast that shares the stories behind your favorite Airbnbs, boutique hotels, and hospitality brands, and the hosts, operators, and entrepreneurs who have brought them to life. Every Tuesday and Friday, you'll meet the military veterans, the retired flight attendants, tech entrepreneurs, the school teachers, the single moms, and the real estate investors who are all, in their own unique ways, shaping the future of travel and hospitality. Discover how these visionaries from all over the world have built chic cabins in the mountains, designed bohemian bungalows on the beach, erected eclectic off-grid and nature-immersed escapes, and so much more. Behind the Stays is brought to you by Spontaneous, the internet's best destination for last-minute Airbnb deals. You can subscribe for free at Spontaneous.com. And I'm your host, Zach Buzicruz, co-founder and CEO of Spontaneous. All right, friends, enjoy the show. In just a moment, you'll meet Matt Whittemore, a hospitality entrepreneur who buys, builds, and manages RV parks. In this engaging conversation, Matt shares how he got started buying RV parks and why he believes there's huge opportunity to disrupt and reimagine this category of travel and real estate investment. Tune in to hear the lessons that Matt learned after buying his first RV park, how he sees experiential hospitality and RV parks intersecting in the near future, why camping is getting younger and cooler, and the opportunity that this presents for folks who want to build cool brands and businesses in the space, and so much more. All right, friends, without further ado, get ready to meet Matt. Alrighty, Matt, we are live. Good, sir. How are you doing on this fine morning? I'm great, Zach. Appreciate you taking some time today. Excited to uh, dig in here. Likewise, man. I We connected on Twitter, uh, or I guess we should now call it X, um, even <laughs> though I was talking to somebody the other day, and I feel like like, you know, everyone went through this phase of calling it X, and then I feel like everyone's gone back to calling it Twitter. So I think I'm a holdout. I never called yeah. it X. I'm, it's I'm just, stubborn. <laughs> it's just too, it's like you have to explain it. It's like context, and then it's like, and, and it's like, what are X tweets called, right? Like, are like X's? Yeah, right. I, I, like, I don't even know, right? So, <laughs> so, so we met I saw on Twitter. calling them Zeets. <laughs> Zeets. <laughs> That's good. That's good. Um, but I've yeah I followed you for for a while and and I, I think we follow uh, and interact with some of the some of the same folks on on the platform and your little description on on Twitter is I buy RV parks and I have been wanting to have somebody come on the show that is uh, that is doing exactly what you have done and and are doing a lot of the folks listening to this conversation are building really cool escapes and kind of like the outdoor hospitality sector we've got folks who are just starting they've just launched like their first like short-term rental their first airbnb um and, and everyone in between but i don't feel i feel like glamping right as a topic and as a category has totally exploded but i haven't i really haven't talked to anyone outside of the the founder of harvest hosts about sort of right like the buying RV parks and, and like what that business is like. So selfishly, I just wanted to get you on this show to learn a little bit more about this business myself. 
But then of course, you know, I think you'll all, I think you'll bring a lot of value to our listeners. So thanks for taking time to chat today. Absolutely. Super excited. Well, one of the first questions I love to ask everyone that comes on the pod, Matt, is if I were to have met you as a 10 year old and asked you what you wanted to be when you grew up, like what would you have said? I think at 10, I probably would have said an astronaut, which is uh, kind of ironic because, you know, I've thought about with all the advent of, you know, rockets and Elon, uh, my my take is now is like, I'd never, ever plan on going to space. That sounds terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh God. Did you, uh, have you like ever seen, like, did your parents ever take you somewhere to like see like a rocket launch or anything like that? Or like, were you no, like, really actually, into it? Okay. I think I like, my parents like bought me a book or like a, a DVD set way back in the day, da- dating myself a little bit here, but, uh, and I just got hooked on it. So I just was consuming a ton of, uh, space and astronaut related content as a as a 10 year old i i feel like somehow i must have just been like a weird kid or something i i never got into space like i that was never something that was like particularly interesting to me and i like to think that i'm like a dreamer and i'm an optimist and uh, you know i'm an entrepreneur and i like i like the unknown but for some reason space just space just never did it for me interesting yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, well, enough about our, our childhood uh, hopes and dreams and musings. I want to hear a little bit about you. So talk to me about how, how you got started in the space, right? So you, again, are, are your tagline on Twitter is I buy RV parks. Talk to us a little bit about buying your first RV park and, and what that experience was like. Sure. So I'll, I'll start actually a little bit before. Um, so I've always worked in commercial real estate finance and investments, spent uh, about 10 years doing uh, commercial mortgages, private equity, mostly as like a financial analyst type, and was always driven to learn as much as I could about real estate investing. Hmm. So I could one day become an investor myself and and have, you know, a nice, well-equipped tool bag and, and, you know, set of knowledge. So I did just that four or five years ago, started making that happen, started with small apartment buildings in upstate New York, pretty quickly realized I didn't really want to be like a small multifamily landlord, you know, hands-on managing tenants, especially in the state of New York, <laughs> uh, tough place to be a landlord. Yeah, And, I, you know, I always knew it was going to be some sort of stepping stone for me. Uh, I just wasn't sure where, you know, what the next step was going to be. So um, I had financed a few mobile home parks when I was working in, in commercial mortgages and just fell in love with, um, you know, the land lease model, renting dirt and not having to worry so much about repairs and maintenance. Um, and so I built a database of mobile home park owners. I've always been a cold caller, cold email, direct mail, direct to seller type prospector. Wow. So. I started blasting all these mobile home park owners and a small percentage of them were miscategorized as uh, they were actually campground owners and not mobile home park owners. So 2020, uh, I started getting some responses from campground owners saying, Matt, not a mobile home park. This is a seasonal campground. We might be sellers. So come check us out if you're interested. And I've always been uh, a why not kind of guy. So decided I'm going to pack up my car and go tour some campgrounds and 
see see what this is all about and totally fell in love with it. And so 2021 is is when I bought my first rustic wild campground in the Catskills <laughs> of New York. Uh 50 RV sites, 23 tent sites. Kind of a junkyard of a property that <laughs> owner had it for 40 years and I mean I I spent the better part of the first 2 years just junking the place out doing some tree work that was long overdue, demolishing old obsolete structures, getting rid of them, site work, uh, renovated the bathhouse. And uh, it's been a, it's been a long road with that first one. And, and since I've bought uh, two more. Wow. Wow. Okay. So you've bought three RV parks uh, in, in total so far. I, I, it's such a cool story of how, of how you got into this space. I'm interested to understand how the heck do you like evaluate a an RV park, right? Like, what have you learned? You you, you described the, this first one as you know like a, a junkyard, and it sounds like it sounds like it's been a beast for you. But hey, you know your first one. Like, what do you know, right? Getting into it, uh, how how do you think through evaluating whether or not an RV park is going to be a a great investment? Like, are there maybe yeah, I don't know, like a handful of 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 metrics that you use to or that you'd recommend folks use to really sort of evaluate a space and if so what are those it's a really interesting question and it's it's a tough one to answer because rv parks and campgrounds so there's a whole wide spectrum of the world of rv parks yeah where i live is truly in the hospitality business seasonal campgrounds in the northeast of the u.s Typically, they're closed in the winter, uh, and they largely cater to full season renters. Okay. Um, okay. And we've we have people that are have been occupying sites for decades, twenty wow. to forty years plus, even. Um, so it becomes their summer home essentially. Uh, they they leave their RV there, they winterize it in the winter, and they open it up in the spring. And you know, it's a very sticky business model. Usually they build a deck next to their RV and build out a really cool campsite. They maintain the campsite themselves. So it's very, very sticky. Um, so, you know, it's, it's, I personally don't believe that uh, RV parks should really be evaluated as real estate investments hmm. because it's a, it's a operationally intensive business. It is very parallel to short-term rentals. Yeah. Um a little, I'd say a little bit more like payroll is, is usually your biggest operating expense. And that's really the key to succeed in this business is, is providing the best product you can provide and, and putting forward the best staff you can provide, but while keeping it in check, uh, expense wise on the PL. So it's a challenge. Honestly, I'm still kind of figuring it out. Um, yeah. I started, I mean, we use, we use cap rates and cash on cash return and, and, you know, IRR, but it's, it's a lot deeper than that. You know, it's, you see a lot of these groups that have, have had success and they're raising money more like venture funds. Hmm. Um, You know, it's growth capital, it's long-term outlook. It's, you know, let's, they're not worried about being profitable until they get to scale. Um, so it's, it's a really interesting model to, to dive into. And it's, it's one that's sort of new to the world of private equity. 
Mm. So I think really all the groups are kind of figuring it out as they go. So it's, yeah. it's, it's fascinating. I was at an industry networking event recently with some incredible hospitality entrepreneurs, and there was one topic of conversation that everyone was chatting about. Can you guess what it was? Keep in mind, this was an event with some of the most incredible folks building unique stays, micro resorts, and other unforgettable Airbnbs. So these folks knew what they were doing. These weren't like industry newbies. Any guesses? Can you guess what the hottest topic of conversation was? Well, if you guessed cleaning, you'd be right. You see, it doesn't matter if your average nightly rate is $100 or $1,000, if it's your guest room or the world's most unique treehouse. If the stay isn't clean, your guests aren't going to be happy. And finding the right cleaning team, especially these days, is really tough. But my new friends at Turno help make it easier. Turno is the smartest way to schedule, pay, and find vacation rental cleaners. Think of Turno as an Uber or TaskRabbit for STR hosts. Simply create an account, describe your listing's cleaning needs, and Turno will match you with cleaners near you. And get this, each cleaner's profile is complete with ratings and reviews from other STR hosts, so you know what you're getting into and who you're going to be working with ahead of time, rather than crossing your fingers and praying that your new cleaner meets your expectations. And you can store all of the cleaning preferences that you have in your account that is associated with each of your listings. This ensures a quality cleaning every time. Turno's auto scheduling feature syncs to your rental calendar and automatically generates cleaning projects associated with guest check-in and check-out dates to be shared with cleaners. After the cleaning, Turno can auto process payments for you. How cool is that? So no more like Venmoing people over, you know, your iPhone. <laughs> and it gets even better, friends. Turner offers a simple, affordable pricing for STR hosts of any size. Single property accounts and marketplace users get access to all the platform's tools and features for free. And they make working with your existing teams easy too, with plans as low as just $6 per property per month. There's so much to Turno, so I want you to take just five minutes to explore their offering further at turno.com forward slash behind the stays. And the team there is offering behind the stays listeners a $150 Amazon gift card after you complete your first turnover before March 31st of 2024. So don't sleep on this, folks. Go to turno.com forward slash behind the stays to learn more. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's funny because, right, when I think of our RV parks, right, I typically think of like, like my, my understanding of them, at least historically, I would have thought of like, kind of like gross, kind of everyone's like right up on, in your business, right? Like, I don't know, there's like shenanigans that go down there, you know, I don't know, the, like all the stereotype, it almost feels like if it almost feels like, you know, what you would, what, what you might expect um, from like a, a, you know, roadside, like motel or whatever. This was like my, my previous understanding. Over the la over over COVID, my wife and I uh, spent a year and a half Airbnb hopping. We were driving all over the country, and we encountered. We didn't actually end up staying in an RV park, but we saw these like stunning RV parks. Oh, yeah. like, we we we'd go and we'd have like you know dinner at like a restaurant on like an RV park, and it was like one of the best meals we ever had. Right, like and so my my whole like understanding of of RV parks was totally transformed right there was this stunning one in Maine actually that that we stumbled upon and, and spent some time um we, we went to their brewery like a couple times anyhow wow. it, it's like it seems like such a uh it's been around for these have been around for for a long time right like as you mentioned they're pretty sticky businesses but it's it does seem like there's opportunity for entrepreneurs like yourself to kind of come in and 
and you know, millennialize them, right? Or or Gen Zify them or whatever yeah. it might be. And I'm curious, like, where where do you see the opportunity in in buying these RV parks? Like, are you are you buying them and and hoping that they'll and, and hoping to do little to no additional work on them and, and it's just kind of like a longer term investment? Or are you buying these with the intent of like trying to build a brand around them or like trying to, you know, create add some permanent a-frames or something on the grounds or like how are you thinking about investing further in these properties post acquisition if at all yeah really good question so it really depends it's it's asset by asset um you know one thing that i've learned is that every rv park or campground that you look at is totally unique in its operations uh, you know the makeup of its income the makeup of its customer base. So you really need to dig in and study the property. And and as, a, as an individual asset, you can't really apply the same business model from one park to another, which is challenging. It's time consuming. It's not like, oh, okay, I'm just going to buy apartment buildings from 10 to 50 units and put $15,000 into each unit, new countertops, new, you know, it's yeah. not... Uh, it's it's much more difficult to scale with respect to commercial real estate, or at least the main kind of food groups of commercial real estate. So I am doing some creative things. And that was what drew me to the business was, and it's a double-edged sword for sure, is each campground you buy a little bit is, is a, uh, a kind of blank canvas that you yeah. can dream up whatever you want to do within reason and try to... Uh, apply that and it can you know it can consume a lot of your time and energy to like pick your path because there's unlimited paths but um you know at the first place i bought it wasn't at all what i really first set out to purchase which was like a stable seasonal campground that had you know at least a few hundred thousand dollars in revenue in place it was a small rustic campground but it was on a really special plot of land that i could see some of these these higher end accommodations working really well on it's a Mm. it's on this beautiful creek it's in the mountains we have bald eagles and beavers and black bears and you know it's really special special place um so we've we've done some creative things we've uh we have right now vintage renovated 1960s and 70s campers uh, mm. that we rent on Airbnb. Nice. Um, we have some kind of rustic log cabins. And then I'm really excited about what we're going to be launching soon is a, it's actually a park model RV. So it's legally an RV, okay. but you wouldn't, once it's skirted, you wouldn't know it. It's a, it's a 14 by 30 foot one bedroom really modern a-frame cabin huh. you know, full full glass front wow. um so i'm really excited about that it's gonna be right on the creek front you know sweet view of the creek that's amazing uh, so you, i think that'll be really special do, do you think like this is a model like do, have you seen have you seen other people do this right which is like hey you you buy you buy an rv park that exists you keep you know a segment of that kind of operating as as it always has but then with the additional land you you build some more like unique accommodations like is this something that like more and more people are doing is it still pretty rare because i'm sure people are doing it i actually 
feel like I'm somewhat connected to this world. And I, I haven't heard too many people uh, pursuing this particular strategy. So is this is this a lot more common than I might than I might think? Or do you or do you feel like we're sort of on the on the cusp of something new here? Really interesting question. And I've I've been doing a deep dive on the on the top uh, glamping operators. Um, I do some consulting with a group called Sage Outdoor Advisory, and they're okay. the preeminent um, feasibility study and appraisal provider for all things outdoor hospitality. So that's everything from rustic campgrounds to glamping to RV resorts, even marinas now. Um, so you know, I've I've been studying pretty pretty deeply. Yeah, and um, you know, it's there is plenty of activity in the space, but it's it's a very young space. Yeah. It's really, you know, till like the late 2000s, you know, 2010s even, uh, until glamping really took a hold in the US and started to get somewhat institutionalized. So, you know, there's groups like uh like Under Canvas is a group yep. that specializes in those classic safari tents. They're really the pioneer of American glamping. Then you have groups like Getaway, who I, I yeah. did a deep dive, a Twitter thread on Getaway. Really interesting uh, model. I think they're the ones that have really figured out how to scale it. I mean, they've got yeah. like 30 locations and like 1,200 cabins, and they're doing, they're buying mostly rundown campgrounds, um, putting tiny homes on wheels that cost like $40,000 to build. I mean, they're investing a lot in infrastructure for the for the parks and getting everything up to up to code, but they're renting them for you know two to three hundred bucks a night. Yeah, uh, which yeah. is pretty incredible for something that the unit itself only costs you forty grand. There's also a group called Auto Camp. Yeah, um, I just wrote a thread on them that will get released uh, t- tomorrow. Nice, nice. And so they're they're not nearly as big, but they've done an incredible job branding and marketing. They've they've uh, struck a deal with Airstream, so they're like the quote unquote exclusive uh, hospitality uh, hotel um, for Airstream you know, developer <laughs> of Airstream. Yeah, and so you know it's crazy that you know they're taking. I don't know. There's no news out there or, or facts and figures as to like what exactly they invest in these Airstreams, but um, my guess is it's like 250k plus. Jeez, They're basically yeah. taking a two hundred thousand dollar airstream that you know you or I could buy from an airstream dealer, but then totally customizing it uh, on the interior. It's actually a fully custom model um, from the exterior as well. So no shortage of investment. I mean, I've I've heard that in a single location with a hundred airstreams, they might be into that property for thirty or forty million dollars, which Jeez. is just Jeez. insane. I mean, they have these. In- insane clubhouses that are probably uh you know millions of dollars uh just for the clubhouse it's yeah pretty pretty interesting to dive into well and and again like i i know that the this like the broader outdoor hospitality space is like it's just blowing up right now right i mean it's it's you just see the amount of investment that that is being poured into like I've t- I talk about this all the time, but like places like the Texas Hill Country like is exploding right now with, with these with these yeah. um, with examples of this. But I guess what I what I find interesting about what you're what you're kind of doing, which I haven't seen a lot of, is 
find like buying an RV park, right? Keeping sort of those those core that that core customer base kind of in place and happy while while simultaneous to that, right? Building out additional units that might be that might actually be attracting a totally different customer base, right? While utilizing the same the same yeah. land. And I and I feel like there are a lot of there are a lot of like it's a really interesting model. It I, I would imagine, right? Like if, if I if I'm spending 500 bucks a night on a glass A-frame, right? That I book on Airbnb, and then I see an RV park, like you know, over yonder, I, I wonder, like I, I wonder what the customer thinks, right? I want, like, it's a really there, good question. Is there and a one which, yeah, it's my so in in the data, the data says not to do that, yeah, um, yeah. because we have these traditional family campground operators that have purchased these cabins, park model RVs on wheels. Yeah. And they're offering them within the campground and their rates are not what they could be if it was just like a cabin village or cabin, cabin resort. Yeah. Occupancy is not what it could be. Um, So it's, it's an interest, you know, like, I think to execute what you're talking about, you'd need to have a separate section that's kind of screened off yeah. from the rest of the campground or at least like a separate area. My, yeah. I have one property where I think it's really ripe for um, doing a separate concept entirely. We have a separate parcel next to the property that's totally raw, goes from the road to the water and you know you could have a private entrance there's a tree line there already you could you know screen it up and then it's like you you know the first place i bought doesn't have a ton of revenue so that's like okay let's figure out how to like totally transform this over some years yeah the second the second and third place i bought had some you know solid revenue in place that it's it's you know it's harder to like displace that revenue. Yeah. <laughs> uh, they're good business models as is. So it's a really interesting kind of conundrum and, and dynamic that you bring up that I think a lot of people are trying to figure out in the industry. Last minute cancellations suck. And that's why we built Ping. Ping makes it easy for guests to be notified when their favorite Airbnbs become available. Ping is a simple widget that lives on your website or your direct booking site and allows your fans and followers to sign up and be notified if their preferred dates become available. Here's how it works. Jimmy sees that you're booked the whole month of October, but he wants to be notified if any three-night window in the month becomes available. Jen is a returning guest and she wants to be notified if any week in June, July, or August becomes available. In a matter of seconds, Jimmy and Jen fill out the simple form and they will be pinged if the requested dates become available. And as a host, you will immediately get pinged via email with Jimmy and Jen's contact information and requested dates, which enables you to build up your own database of guest email addresses. Ping is what the best Airbnb hosts use to maximize bookings. You can get access to our beta pricing with plans that start at just $39 a year at bnbping.com. Again, that's bnbping.com. And what's really interesting from my perspective is talk about an oppor- like a really cool opportunity to like test and experiment, right? It's it's way riskier to go buy a piece of land and then try to build three, four, five yeah. really cool, unique stays 
and you're out what a couple mil at least after all of that, like uh, on the low end versus, Hey, let's buy an RV park, right? Let's that, that this is a solid business in and of itself. Let's optimize things here and there. Let's be, you know, create efficiencies with, with some technology, right? Like let's do what we can. Oh, but like in this like five acre plot over here or whatever it is, right? Like let's, let's then use this to, to build one concept of, of a unique stay and figure out like, Hey, do the numbers pencil here in this market, in this location? Do we like the caliber? Like, do we like the customer profile of the people that want to stay here? Like, is this a customer segment we feel like we can we can serve, right? It's just, it's a really cool opportunity to think about it as a way to, you know, pay the bills, quite frankly. Uh, lower risk, way lower risk, way up front. And, and hey, you build one, it doesn't work out, doesn't, you don't like what you think or, you know, uh, you don't like what you see yeah. rather. And, and, then, and then you're done and you're not, you're not out all this, all, all this cash. So yeah. it just seems like a really cool experiment. Uh, a, a related question that I have for you is, are there like people that are building new RV parks, like from the ground up? Cause I think about like, like van life, right. Which obviously was super popular during COVID. It was popular before, but it like had this huge, huge surge during the pandemic I have friends who totally, you know, outfitted their vans. I've got a friend who re, who re-outfitted a whole school bus and they live in the school bus full time, right? And I, I think about this segment of traveler and the segment of, of really like lifestyle traveler. And I think like they like they never go to RV parks, right? Like right. I'm like, hey, you guys, if if there was a cool RV park that like you know ma- meshed yeah. with your vibe and how you see yourself. I bet you'd be there, right? Uh, so, are, are there are there RV parks kind of being built for the next generation of travelers? Like, is is that a thing? Yeah, it is. It is. I've I've come across some groups that are, and it, there's a really interesting trend that you're kind of uh, picking at here. Is camping is skewing younger? Yeah. Um, which is is an interesting, you know, kind of uh new territory for the industry because the camping industry has largely been sort of designed for baby boomers yeah. for the last however many years yeah. it, you know it's kind of a cliche that like RVing is a baby boomer activity and like yeah you know they're not you when you're retired not, yeah yeah they're not hip they're not cool they're going into like the lame RV park that's like you know has the amenities that like a baby boomer would want. And it, you know, it's largely like the, the development that I know about is largely like in the development friendly States of the South, the Sunbelt, yeah. uh, you know, more kind of, uh, you know, conservative States yep. where it's, you know, people, people love to invest in real estate in those, locations so to me that's a risk you know i see a lot of people that invest in rv parks in texas and arizona places like that and it seems like there's an rv park like under construction like on every corner but that's a (laughs) totally different business those are like what i would call like snowbird parks or even like affordable housing type parks where it's construction workers and traveling nurses and you know other kinds of transient workers that live in an rv full-time uh, and they they take a monthly rental from these types of parks, which is not the business I'm in. I'm in the Northeast, which is the total opposite kind of 
you know, really notoriously hard to develop uh, these types of properties in the Northeast because uh, of political climate and and kind of nimbyism and and all that stuff. So, um, you know, there's a few select groups that are appealing to like the the younger kind of digital nomad type type uh, consumer, but it's it's a it's a minority for sure. Yeah. But I think that is a tremendous opportunity. Um, and you know, the first park that I bought has no amenities. The yeah, amenity okay. is the Creek. It's nature. It's wildlife. Yeah. We put in Wi-Fi, but like people go there because it's wild country. It's yeah. two hours from New York city. It's, you know, so we have an incredibly diverse customer base. Yeah. Income wise, very diverse, uh, background wise, very diverse nationality, ethnicity, whatever you want to, however you want to refer to it, you know, very diverse, young, uh, you know, age wise. And it's a kind of a cool thing to see because you get all people from all different walks of life interacting, throwing their fishing line into the creek, sitting around the campfire, you know, meeting people from different places of the country, which is like, you know, and another interesting aspect is that new campers tend to be tent campers to start. Um, mm. and, and that's mm. also skewing younger. So there seems to be this yeah. migration back to old school camping, yeah. you know, nature and wildlife and bugs and, and, you know, having a, you know, do all the, the hard things about camping, lugging your gear yeah. to the site, pitching the yeah. tent, you know, <laughs> keeping a cooler full of ice, starting the fire, you know, cause that's your only source of light at night and taking a flashlight everywhere you go and worrying about wildlife. And just like, these are usually like city dwellers that are just like looking for like a total way to like unplug and experience something different from their day to day. Yeah. And I, like, I, I spent a lot of time at that first campground and I would meet former hedge fund guys, commercial real estate guys that are very, very wealthy and they love roughing it, you know, out, out in the woods. And uh, it, it was really eye opening to see. And you see the industry data is, is kind of corroborating what I've seen anecdotally. So um, yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. I mean, it, I mean, I think it just, it just speaks to sort of like this, this notion, this, uh, this, you know, the inner animal maybe in all of us of like, most of us are sitting in front of our screens all day, every day, where now m many of us are working remotely full time, if not in a, in a hybrid model context. And so the opportunity to sort of immerse yourself in, in an environment that is uncomfortable is just few and far between. Like yeah. we, we, most of us are living and working an incredible comfort. Um, and, and, and trying to find this like escapism is, is harder than ever before. Trying to find the, trying, trying to disconnect is harder than ever before. Right. Yeah. Which quite frankly is why I think like getaway first took off. Right. What it was this notion. It was like part of this whole like digital detox movement and Hey, come here. There's no wifi. You're going to lock your phone away in this box and you're just going to like hang out by yourself and, or with your loved one. And you're just going to reconnect for yeah. the weekend. Like, no, no distractions, no, nothing in the outside world can, can kind of permeate this bubble that we're going to create for you. And that was, that was the brand promise. That was the value promise. Right. And yep. people latched onto that. And there are other examples. And, and I think quite frankly, this whole like 
resurgence of, of outdoor hospitality, I, I think is, 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 is more closely aligned to what like the getaways of the world were trying to do and are trying to do, you know, than, than they are, than they are, um, you know, you know, other brands and, and, and this notion that like, again, the goal at the end of the day is to reconnect with somebody that you love, reconnect with nature, have space in your brain to freaking think without distraction. Like that has become a luxury. Like to your point, that's the new luxury. The new luxury is being able to disconnect in a place that brings you a lot of peace and joy. And so these hedge fund managers that you're talking about in, in, in the city, right? They could go anywhere. They could stay at the Four Seasons all day, every day. Yeah. They could stay at the Ritz, right? They have their choice of hotel, but they're choosing to rough it in a campground because in some respects, that's even a more luxurious, more like desirable, uh, you know, environment yeah. to immerse themselves in than something that is like known and comfortable like the Four Seasons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and when this I say funny. rough it, I, I mean really rough it. We have hike-in primitive tent sites, so there's no water hookup. There's no Jeez. electric you gotta okay, we that's give too them much a wheelbarrow. That's too much, man. Yeah, we give them a wheelbarrow <laughs> that and they have to go in sometimes two hundred yards, take five trips with their gear. Wow. And uh you feel like and but you feel like you're out in I mean you you are to some degree, you're out in the wilderness. Yeah. And you yeah. you can't see the other campsites from where you're at. It's all natural growth forest. Uh and it's 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 pretty special. So yeah. um yeah, you know, it's it's and I think the trend of development is you look at all the big groups that are pouring tons, millions and hundreds of millions of dollars into the space. They're all seem to be really focusing on the super high end RV resort that, in my opinion, does not have even a, a tinge of camping in it. Yeah. You know, it's paved <laughs> sites, no trees around, you know, spa amenities, which is cool. I mean, I'm sure it's fun to go stay there, but like, how many people out there are driving quarter million dollar, you know, class A RVs? And do I do I want to do I want that to be my customer base that I'm depending on? Yeah, I don't think yeah. so. I'd rather I'd rather have somebody that's willing willing to pay me seventy or a hundred bucks to go pitch their own tent in the woods, you know. So yeah, it's interesting. No, I mean, and and I think that that I think what you're touching on, Matt, is like one of the most like challenging aspects of of the whole quote unquote glamping industry is today glamping can mean $70 stay in like a, you know, older, uh, not renovated RV, or it could mean spending $750 to stay at this like treehouse cabin thingy. Right. And, and yeah. like that's glamping too. And, and I think it's so the, the word glamping could, can be defined in so many different ways that I think it's like, yeah. it's doing a, total disservice to it everybody is. like people got to come up with some new words like then, some, some uh, new so categories really good point you bring up and i i like i think i tweeted the other day like i don't like the term glamping i mean it's, <laughs> okay. it's like there's the american glamping association it's it's what the industry has has adopted okay 100 percent. but to me it has an unserious connotation like mm. like when i back before I was actually in this business, I would think, Oh, like glamping, that's a fad. Like that'll pass. Like, you know, being uneducated and I yeah. now, you know, it's here to stay for sure. But there's, there's a few people I'm sure you're, you're familiar with that are big on Twitter. Uh, ben Wolf, unique, unique yeah. days guy. 
So yeah, I actually toured yeah. him around one of my properties and, you know, maybe, maybe we'll do some stuff together. Nice. Uh, and then also Isaac French from yeah. uh, Live Oak Lake. Those are yeah. two guys that I, you know, source a lot of inspiration from. And I love, I don't know who coined the term or if either of them did, but they, they are definitely uh, promoting it, but the term of landscape hotel. And I think mm -hmm. that's really appropriate, you know, for what these are. Rather, yeah. clamping is like somebody might just have a safari tent set up in their backyard, you know, a one-off unit on Airbnb. But like Landscape Hotel tells me, all right, high-level service, high-level amenities, you know, something reliable. It's kind of the, brings into the Airbnb versus hotel debate that we see like every day on Twitter of like yeah, Airbnb nightmare stories. And that's why I stay in hotels. And it's like, it's which, you know is what it is but i think it kind of <laughs> it ties into that of like i can have both i can have like a really unique stay but i can also like bet on that i'm gonna have a positive experience and and reliable experience which is tough with you know one-off kind of mom and pop operators yeah a hundred percent my um my last question for you matt is what what are, what are, what are some of the opportunities that you see in this space? Right. So folks listening to this podcast who are entrepreneurs that are, they're building, you know, their own glamping sites and, or they are building a landscape hotel, uh, type properties as you, as you have learned a lot by now buying not one, not two, but three RV parks. And as you continue to immerse yourself into the greater outdoor hospitality community, where, where do you see opportunity for entrepreneurs to build? It's a lot of what we've discussed already. Honestly, I think it's it's leaning into old school, natural, primitive camping, um, yeah. trying ways to like upscale that. I mean, there's so many campgrounds out there. There's something like fifteen thousand campgrounds in the United States, yeah. and probably only like ten to twenty percent of those would be widely deemed like investment grade or investment size or investment quality. Um, so I think the key and the opportunity is for some people to figure out what to do with those other 80% of parks that your average investor will just say, ah, too small, not enough revenue, not enough opportunity, yeah. not worth yeah. my time. And, um, you know, it's something I'm, I'm working on actively. I've got some peers in the, in the industry that I've, you know, got a lot of respect for, um, that have, you know, the same sort of vision. So hopefully, hopefully more to come. Maybe, maybe, uh, we can, we can look forward to another, uh, another episode here in yeah. six months <laughs> or something. And I've got, uh, got some more updates. Uh, I love it, man. And, um, I think, I think you're onto something. I think I, just, I, I don't think I do want to encourage our listeners to connect with you. If they're not already following you on Twitter, I'll have your Twitter handle linked in the show notes below and, uh, keep on, keep on keeping on with a, with a great work, man. It's really, it's really inspirational. I think that this category, this space is like, it, it, we're like in a Renaissance era, I feel like, and it's it just, it's just very exciting. And there, there are going to be lots of opportunities to win. There's going to be a lot of opportunities to build. I think there, we're going to see great, 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 great brands emerge from kind of this, this next decade of, of building in the space. So thanks. You, thank you for all the work that you do. Thank you for all the learnings that you share on Twitter. I know that I've benefited from them and I'm sure that others have as well. 
But Matt, thank you so much for your time, man. It's been a, it's been a real pleasure. Likewise, Zach. I had a lot of fun. Keep in touch, man. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Behind the Stays. I'd love to know what you thought of the episode. Feel free to shoot me an email directly at Zach, that's Z-A-C-H, at spontaneous.com, or find me on X, formerly Twitter, at ZBoozy, that's Z-B-O-O-Z-E-E, or on LinkedIn at Zach Cruz. If this is your first time tuning in, it's a pleasure to have you, and we hope to have you back again soon. If you've been a listener for a while, though, I'd greatly appreciate if you could subscribe and then leave us a rating and review of the show wherever you are currently streaming this podcast. Last but certainly not least, Spontaneous and Behind the Stays are totally bootstrapped, and my ability to bring you these stories is only possible because of our incredible advertising partners. We're very much a startup show, and while our growth rate is amazing, thanks to all you who keep tuning in and sharing our show with your friends and family, we haven't quote-unquote made it yet. So if you could do me a huge favor and go and check out the sponsor for today's episode in the show notes below, I would greatly appreciate it. Even if their offering doesn't make sense for you right now, sending them a quick message on social or an email, just saying that you're listening to the show and you appreciate their support would be incredibly amazing. All right, friends, thank you so much. Enjoy the rest of your day and we will see you on the next episode of Behind the Stays.